Yo, welcome. Episode 78 of the DLSS Podcast. Thanks for showing up. We're going to do things a little bit in stages this week. I'm just going to go through and burn down the results. Just list them off one by one from last night's card, UFC Fight Night. Kevin Holland took on Marvin Vittori. So I'm just going to list off the card. Obviously, if you guys are here, you don't care about spoilers. So we're going to go ahead and just list those results. And then we'll dive a little bit deeper on some of the storylines, some of the interesting finishes and things that happen on the card. As we always do, take a break, come back, recap points for the predictions challenge. And then we're going to look at the next week. we got a fun one, guys. Kelvin Gastelum versus Robert Whitaker, the one that got away. It was a few years back, back in Australia. I believe it was either the day of or the day before, so weigh-ins. Robert Whitaker pulled out with an internal hernia. He had to get emergency surgery. So it's been a long time coming, and I'm fucking really pumped for this one. So no time to waste. But before we get into any of the action, I want to make sure to let you guys know this episode and all of them, in fact, are brought to you by Dave DeCourcy and the DeCourcy Group. If you guys need to take any cash or the equity of your home, or if you need a loan in order to purchase, a home, please do support the people that support the show by going to www.thedecourcygroup.com. That's T H E D E C O U R C Y group.com. Let them know the DLSS podcast sent you, and it really does help us out a lot. So, thank you guys who uh, have inquired. Obviously, we talked about Nate. I um, think they're working a deal out. He's coming back from Florida tomorrow. I'll be picking him up from the airport, so we can let you guys know how that went. But, yeah, if you guys can, support the people that support the show. It really helps us out a lot. But no time to waste, so let's get right into it. UFC Fight Night, Vittori versus Holland. Starting with the main event, Marvin Vittori takes out Kevin Holland. Unanimous decision. One of them was a 10-8 because all three judges scored it 50-44 for a pretty dominant performance for the heavy favorite, Marvin Vittori. And then the co-main event, the underdog comes through. Arnold Allen defeats Sadiq by unanimous decision pretty fun fight we'll get into it a little bit later in the show and then before that the fight of the night sam alvey versus julian marquez this was a lot of fun stand and bang fucking rock him sock him until the end julian marquez secures a rear naked choke submission actually after dropping sam on the feet two minutes seven seconds of the second round and speaking of submissions that takes us to the next one that's perfect Mar- uh, mackenzie dern takes out nina nunez four minutes 48 seconds of the very first round with an arm bar gets a performance of the night bonus on that one so good for her the next one man d-rod danny rodriguez versus mike perry i thought this one was going to be more exciting uh but danny rodriguez secures a unanimous decision over mike perry 129 strikes to 61 it was kind of a clinic on the feet i have to i have to say it that way because that's the way it was and then the next one it's no secret i'm a big jim miller fan kind of disappointed on the way this one went down joe selecki did what he had to do security a unanimous decision victory over jim miller next one uh matus gamrot versus scott holtzman this one was fucking crazy fight, and then he ends up, Gamrot that is, ends up KOing uh, Scott Holtzman, one minute, 22 seconds to the second round. Definitely wanted to go back and check out. John McDessie versus Ignacio Bojamandez. This was cool. I like to see the, the old veteran of the two uh, come out with a hard-fought decision win. A split decision, but 124 to 112 was the striking differential between McDessie and Bojamandez. Uh, McDessie started off really, really strong, and, you know, Stayed true throughout, but uh, Belhamandez was really making it difficult down the stretch. So that was a really fun fight. Uh, split decision, though, ends up leaning John McDessie's way. Next one, Jarges Donhoe versus Jorgen DeCastro. This one was also, I think Donhoe w- might have been one of the biggest um, underdogs on the card. He ends up doing what a lot of people thought was going to happen to him and, and KOing Jorgen DeCastro three minutes, two seconds of the very first round. Crazy heavyweight fight. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes it can go three rounds huffing and puffy, uh, huffing and puffing. Heavy, sweaty, heavy, heavyweights just, like, not exciting. No, this one showed out. There was only 12 total strikes 
thrown in the entire fight. So, uh, first round KO. Congratulations to Judges Danho. And then moving on, Jack Shore takes out Hunter Azur. Also a close fight, split decision win in the bantamweight division for Jack Shore. Um, so yeah, moving down the card, Luis, Luis Saldana over Jordan Griffin. I thought Griffin was more of a live underdog in this spot. Ends up getting, I don't want to say dominated, but it was a clear decision victory, unanimous decision for Luis Saldana. So congrats to him, because I believe it was his UFC debut over a veteran in Jordan Griffin. So um, sure, he's going to be going places. Next one, Daun Jung versus William Knight. Also, uh, William Knight was another underdog I thought was going to come through. I was confused why he was underdog, because he was a favorite going into the fight a couple weeks ago against Alonzo. So, Minifield. So, um, long story short, I ended up switching to William Knight and Daun Jung got it done. Unanimous decision, light heavyweight division. So, good for him. Then, the opening fight on the card, Impa Kasanganai takes out Sasha Palatnikov. They were even on the feet with 13 strikes. Um, Impa Kasanganai had a couple takedowns and then uh, he ended up getting, coming away with a submission win. 26 seconds in the second round in his welterweight debut. He went down and, and wait for this one. So, even though he was already jacked, had a lot of muscle on him, it was uh, crazy to see him down at the 170 weight limit. But, congrats to him on getting back in the win column after that crazy viral KO over Joaquin Buckley. So getting back on track. But there you have it. Those are your results for UFC Fight Night, Vittori versus Holland. Now, as far as the main event goes, I don't know if I'm like in the minority uh, with this opinion or not, but um, same with Sam Alvey, who I'll I'll tie that knot together in a minute. But I feel like both him and Kevin Holland's stock actually rose uh, in a loss, for me at least. I mean, think about it. You got Kevin Holland three weeks removed from his fight against Derek Brunson. Stepping in, I don't even know how many times he's now stepped in short notice to kind of help the UFC brass, help the UFC not lose a card or use a lose a fight, in this case, a main event. You know, save the day, so to speak, you know, doing a solid to the company. And uh, coming, coming in, no excuses. He obviously took the criticism from his last fight. Um, but, you know, again, only three weeks removed from Derek Brunson fight where, um, although you could tell Holland changed his mindset and came in and took it a hell of a lot more seriously, and was a hell of a lot more active trying to get up off the bottom and, and fighting off his back, things like that. But even to the point where Derek Brunson put out a tweet afterwards and it's like, hey, man, how much should I charge Marvin Vittori for that blueprint? So he didn't really, Kevin Holland, that is, have much of an opportunity to shore up some of those liabilities that he you know, had exposed in the Brunson fight. Um, he's a, he's a high-level competitor. He's got good jujitsu off his back and things like that. But in certain spots, man, he can't be complacent to sit on the bottom and try to work that jujitsu game. He's got to be active. He's got to be doing damage. He's trying to. He's got to be trying to get up. And uh, as you saw in both the Brunson and the Vittori fight, when he was able to keep his distance and work some of his uh, you know long-distance striking, and he was sharp and precise, he tuned both of them up a couple times to where they both almost needed to change the game plan in terms of. I don't know about change, but execute taking his ass to the ground to kind of, you know, settle him down and, and not be peppering him with peppering them with shots on the feet. So I know it actually makes more sense if we were to be talking about the winner here in Marvin Vittori. But, you know, I mean, I, I hate to do it and take it away any of his, you know, shine from getting the victory on Saturday night. But I think rightly so. It's important to talk about Kevin Holland and the fact that. Um, you know, like I said, he heard a lot of that criticism. He didn't come in all happy-go-lucky and talking shit. He was focused. He had some adversity he had to overcome in the fight with his eye pretty much swelling shut. And, like, between, I believe that was between the first and second round. Took one gnarly elbow, one of the only cleanest, cleaner shots that did land from Marvin's ground and pound. I think it was in the first round. 
and did you know he had a, a good showing he made a good account of himself even in a five round loss going the full distance uh for the most part other than that eye cut earlier in the fight he was able to stay relatively safe on bottom uh 20 out of 25 minutes of control time for marvin vittori though so obviously a glaring liability in uh kevin holland's game and he's going to have to continue to work on it because the blueprint is there and everyone's going to be trying to take him down going forward at this level. And even DC was talking about it on the broadcast. It's like a couple minor adjustments in terms of like his wrestling awareness. He wasn't really um, attacking or paying attention to the hands being clasped together behind his waist, under his butt, behind his legs. And uh, he wasn't squaring off or he was too square on the cage. He wasn't really angling um, horizontally with the cage to kind of spread his base, spread his hips. And to, you know, fight off that takedown off the fence a little bit better. So, you know, he's definitely going to have to do something about that. Because other than that, you know, he's he's he definitely throws poses a very strong threat on the feet. And he could have some success. And even though he's talked about, you know, taking some time off. You know, he competed five times in 2020. I think he's already had three fights now or two fights. Yeah, three fights in 2021. So the guy is very active. He's talking about taking some time off to try to potentially, you know, work on some of these things. And he was even talking about maybe going down to 170. So um, with that many times, he's kind of stepped up and helped save the the cards. And, like, I feel like the UFC isn't going to, you know, quote-unquote punish him all that much in this loss and uh, move him down the rankings or, you know, take matchmaking opportunities away from him um, in the same way they would, you know, with a normal loss. But stepping up last minute, three weeks after his last fight, you know, making the fight go all five rounds, obviously working a lot harder to at least attempt to get up off the bottom or fight from the bottom. Uh, you know, I, the switch in the mindset was an obvious progression, and uh, I think I think he's on the right track, and I think he needs to stay focused because the, I'm sure the UFC is going to be calling him soon, just keeping him busy as he likes to stay busy. So uh, as much as he might want to take some time off, he needs to be constantly growing so he can be ready for the next opportunity. But I like Kevin Holland. I think uh, this, like, again, his stock rose in a certain sense for me, at least personally. And uh, we'll, we'll see who they put him up against next. As far as Marvin Vittori goes, he's already number six in the welterweight, uh, I'm sorry, middleweight division. And obviously with that history with Israel Adesanya, be uh, not sure what is you know, next for him as far as what the champ's going to do, who he's going to face next. We have next weekend, which we're going to talk about uh, soon do the picks for. We have Kelvin Gastelum versus Israel, I'm sorry, versus Robert Whitaker, who obviously were originally scheduled a few years ago and the fight fell out last minute. And uh, I'm sure this fight, as well as the fight next weekend between Gastelum and Whitaker, are kind of somewhat setting the stage in an informal you know, top four, top six tournament to figure out who's going to face Izzy next. So let me know what you guys think and who you think should face Izzy in his uh, fight, his comeback fight down to 185. Because if you think about it, all three of the potential opponents all would be rematches. They all have history with uh, Adesanya. Vittori gave him his toughest fight on the way up. Uh, he lost that fight to Izzy, but Izzy, you know, admittedly said that that was his toughest fight to date up until that point, made him better. And then uh, obviously the Kelvin Gastelum fight of the year, uh, with Israel Adesanya, amazing fight, amazing five-round war, and then uh, the Robert Whitaker fight, where Robert Whitaker said, you know, it was it's widely um, speculated that he just wasn't, you know, his 100% self. Let's just say that much. So, um, all three of them could be really exciting uh, matchups, and they'll all be rematches. 
So let me go. Which one you, uh, at least of those three, you guys prefer to, to face Izzy next? And that pretty much wraps up my thoughts on the main event. Before I talk about the co-main event, I want to kind of talk about like why I compared uh, Kevin Holland's performance to Sam Alvey's because uh, the way I see it, like for me, both their stocks rose because I saw progression. I saw improvement from the last time out. Like uh, Kevin Holland obviously switched his mindset as I just kind of you know, did, dove into as far as like the things about him that I was, you know, happy to see even at a loss. Uh, he switched his mindset. He looked like he he's progressing. He's making necessary improvements fight to fight. And he only had three weeks. But with regards to Sam Alvey, he went back down to 185 from 205. Um, he was in tremendous shape. He looked super lean. He didn't have a lot of, you know, loose skin or extra weight. He looked very much so in shape. And you know he has a chin uh, of granite. He's just always willing to go and bang it out. So not much changed in terms of, like, his mindset per se because you know he's always willing to bring it. But he just looked like he was in tremendous shape. He was moving well. He was more active. He was more had more volume in this fight than he normally has. He was bringing it, basically. Back was against the wall. Talked about, I believe, this was his last fight on his contract and that he had lost four or five fights in a row. So he didn't expect the UFC to keep him. Why would he, you know, he's like, I wouldn't even keep me kind of thing in the pre-fight press conference because he recognizes that you got to win to stick around in the elite uh, organization of the sport. So he uh, knew his back was up against the wall, and you could just tell. Uh, I even was uh, DMing with him on Instagram. He was nice enough to go DM back and forth. But that I felt like he was a savage, and he was, he was locked in, and he came to win. And, um, you know, although anything could happen when two big uh, explosive guys like that are just throwing down looking for the finish, um, I felt like he, you know, was in that fight the entire time, and all it was going to take was one of them to land, you know, very clean on the other ones because they were throwing hammers. And congrats to Julian Marquez. You know what I'm saying? Like I felt like he wasn't Sam Alvey wasn't going to go away, even though he got dropped and uh, doing the ground and pound, and you know the the him kind of scrambling for a single leg. He was taking a lot of shots from Marquez, and you just you can't really put Alvey out with with strikes per se. You can't put him out cold. So um, Marquez switched to it was kind of like a. Uh, he was trying to take the back, didn't really have hooks in, so it was kind of like a rear naked choke, almost bulldog choke combination with no hooks. So, um, But, you know, Sam Alvey, you got to put him out. He went to sleep and, uh, you know, fighting. That's the way it goes. He has a great attitude about it. Posted on his Instagram, and I just, I think, you know, I'm a big fan of the guy, and I hope the UFC keeps him around and sees what I saw as far as he was even considerably better than he was in his last fights. And that's all you can really expect from a fighter is uh, to continue to get better and progress fight to fight. So even late in the, in the game, late stage of his career, uh, it's it's important, and I was happy to see improvements. And him cutting back down to 185 is also, you know, a lifestyle change. you got a commitment to – you have to commit to it to, in order to pull it off. He seemed to do it pretty well. The weight cut didn't look too, you know, too harsh on him. So anyways, if I were the UFC, I'm arguing to keep smiling, Sam around. Uh, but overall, congratulations to – the James Krause and his team over there, Glory MMA, Julian Marquez coming out with the victory. Another good, solid name on his resume and his short stint in the UFC. I'm sure, you know, the UFC is going to continue to test him and try to see where he can take this thing. So congratulations to both guys. They got the fight of the night. Uh, it sucks because the predictions challenge. I, I wrote this one, scratched it out, and then switched to one that ended up being a stinker. But it's how it goes sometimes. But uh, ultimately, I really enjoyed it while it lasted. And again, I'll say the third time, UFC, keep smiling, Sam, on the roster. He's always fun. You know, he always brings it. The man's got like eight kids to feed, too, so you got to help him out. And then some thoughts on the co-main event, Sadiq Yusuf versus Arnold Allen. 
I thought this was a really good matchmaking. I'll t- kind of tell you guys my thoughts throughout the whole week before the fight even played out. But if you think about it, like uh, Sadiq Yusuf has got a little bit less experience in the UFC, but a, more of like a sharper ascension through his you know wins he's kind of if you think of it on a graph he's got like a a more steep line even though it's a shorter amount of time the ufc and arnold allen has got a little bit more experience in the ufc but his uh he's slow a little bit slower a little bit less steep but longer line so those two kind of meeting in the in the middle so to speak was i felt a a really good smart matchmaking like it was an evenly matched fight uh Sadiq Yusuf I thought had the power advantage and I thought he had the striking advantage and that Arnold Allen was going to have more of like the grappling wrestling uh maybe cardio advantage for those people that can weaponize pace you know what I'm saying so uh what I was looking for throughout the week is I was kind of I was leaning towards Sadiq throughout um the first part of the week and I was really waiting until weigh-ins and seeing him stand next to each other because Sadiq Yusuf is, is a pretty large featherweight and I was basically looking to see since it was the smaller octagon which I think tends to lead towards the uh, opponent that's got a good grappling uh, skill set and uh, game plan. I was looking to see how these two guys sized up and if Sadiq Yusuf was like he normally is, you know, considerably bigger than the other guy, I was going to continue to stick with my pick there and if the weight cut didn't look too bad for him. But when I saw them both go up on the stage, although Sadiq in the upper body looked a little bit thicker, they looked roughly the same size, if not Allen might have been a little thicker overall, like more proportioned upper and lower body. And, you know, some of these things, I'm, you know, this, the, the body language experts, but when they were up, going up on the stage, I felt like Arnold Allen had more energy. He was just more, more lively. He was, you know, more, uh, um, you know, not as drained from his weight cut potentially. And he seemed to look the same size, if not a, lot, a tiny bit bigger than I expected him to. So, at that point, I decided because I felt like it was a really close fight, like I said, evenly matched mid-fight, to go for the underdog points. I mean, I'm not special. All three of us did on the predictions challenge, but he ended up coming away with this decision victory. So congrats to him as the underdog, taking out a name like Sadiq. And uh, Sadiq, you know, similar to the main event, Kevin Holland's just got to make sure that he, uh, you know, cannot, can keep it where he's, he's most suited to have a victory, which is on the feet. Um, but he also needs to not load up on his shots as well. There was a point in time during the fight that you, his coaches were yelling at him. He was actually taking their advice from, you know, real in real time, hearing him from outside the cage to not load up and to just touch him. And he, when he did that, he was uh, connecting a hell of a lot more. He's got the power to put people out. He likes to knock people out. So he kind of loads on his shots a little bit. And um, Arnold Allen, man, he, he actually looked really good on the feet compared to what I remember him uh, skill-wise. And so he, he made it competitive if not won the majority of the striking exchanges and was able to mix it up and control him in the grappling department as well so overall Arnold Allen was uh, underrated but uh, rose to the occasion had a great performance and I'm really interested to see who they put him up against next if you take a look at the rankings I didn't realize this the Arnold Allen was ranked number 10 Sadiq Yusuf number 11 so um, you know Arnold Allen's not going to jump too high from that you know but he's really getting into into the part of the division with the really interesting names names that you guys have heard of like jeremy stevens dan Ige, josh emmett calvin cater you know korean zombie and the like so it's only getting into killers from here and people higher profile fights potential main events and uh you know arnold allen really took advantage of this opportunity as far as i'm concerned and uh he's only gonna go up from here
And then really quickly on the Mike Perry, Danny Rodriguez fight. Congrats to Danny Rodriguez. Got Joe Schilling in the corner, keeping him calm, making sure he's just sticking him with the jab, staying on the outside, executing their game plan because he clearly had the uh, better like striking technical ability and range, and he had the attributes to you know keep him on the outside. Mike Perry, although he looked in the best shape physically I've seen him in a very long time, he made weight. Uh, he looked super lean. He was he was game as always. Got his nose busted up like he did in the Luke fight because he just kept coming forward. He wasn't going to give up on himself. But, you know, he obviously the outside the cage situations and the inability for him to stay focused and progress over the last year or so, you know, in this game, MMA has evolved so fast and people are at the tip top. If, if you don't keep up, you're drowning, you're going down, you're going backwards. So the only thing I'll say about it is I think, you know, the – the making of the weight, the discipline to, you know, follow a specific diet and, and work on his strength conditioning and do the things he had to do to make the weight uh, better this time, I think is a step in the right direction. He needs to keep that going, build on that momentum. He never got tired. He never gassed in the fight. You know what I'm saying? So I just think, you know, it was a tough loss, tough competitor. D-Rod's had a lot of success in the UFC. He's learned on the job. He's had some tough battles and he was able to just, you know, keep it in his wheelhouse. If, uh, Perry, which he hit him clean a few times, was able to close that distance and make it more of like boxing range and like mid-range than, you know, uh, Rodriguez was, you know, taking an unnecessary risk and putting himself in danger. He didn't need to brawl. He didn't need to put Perry away. So he just kept listening to Joe Schilling, kept sticking that jab. You know, he got a little wild at times, but ultimately did what he had to do, was uh, the more technical striker on the feet with range, with reach, all that stuff, as I mentioned. So he ended up getting it done. One thing I did want to read before I move on to the next fighter and and we move on to the predictions challenge recap is uh, Mike Perry put out a statement. He, he said, uh, it goes as follows. I used to be great. I don't know what happened. I have, a fi- I have one fight left on my contract. I'll train hard. I'll give it my all for my family. Whatever I have to do to give them a better life, I'll bleed every day for them if I have to. So I respect the mentality. I respect the dedication. Hopefully that's going to continue to translate in the gym like it look like looks like it has at least over this last camp. So if you can just stay focused, stay disciplined, and you know come out, have a phenomenal performance in his last fight in the UFC, maybe he can save his career and get himself back on track. But tough loss this time out, and you know he's got a lot of work to do, so hopefully he can turn it around. That's pretty much it for the card, guys. Uh, congrats again, Mackenzie Dern, on her submission over Nina Nunez. Congrats again, John McDessie, coming back after a pretty decent layoff and uh, showing he's still got something in the tank at lightweight. Uh, he, had a, he had a good showing, man. He had a, a lot of uh, reach and uh, disadvantages and a lot, of, lot to overcome in this fight. Started off strong and then um, had to keep it together down the stretch. So stoked for him uh, to get a good win after a not-so-successful um, run you know and he's got a lot of talent so happy to see him get get that win so that does it for ufc fight night vittori versus holland i'm gonna spin this thing forward give me just a second gonna take a break come back recap the points for the predictions challenge and then give you my picks for ufc fight night whitaker versus gastelum so stay put all right we're back you know what time it is time to recap the points for the predictions challenge Alright, I'm not gonna fucking lie. This one might have a little bit of a different tone to it because I'm pretty pissed off. I can't seem to uh, catch up with Jose on weeks that I do well. He does great. On weeks that I do shitty, he does great. Fucking congratulations again, dude. But a little bitter, but only determined. That's it. Not getting bitter, gonna get better. Nate did well this week too. Let's start off 
62 points uh, for Nate starting the week, 80 points for Jose, 46 for me. That's how we started off. And I even ended up getting eight points, which isn't even that bad on a 13 fight card. I got three points on Arnold Allen getting the decision, two points on McDessie being the underdog, and a couple other points here and there, but wasn't anything compared to what Nate and Jose got. Uh, they both got an extra point on the underdog, Dern, and uh, Jose got Marquez, he got a point. Selecki got a point. Gamrock got a point. Jung got a point. On Saldana, Shore, and Impacasangana. I got a few of those peppering in there too. But overall, he ended up getting the most win-loss, so he got an extra point there. Um, ending the week, Nate ended up getting 11 points. Um, Jose got 15, and I got my 8. So year-to-date totals, Nate's got 73. Jose's got 95. And I have 54 getting smoked. I got a lot of work to do. I'm not happy about it. So best believe I'm going to get straight to work on this next card. Okay, UFC Fight Night, Whitaker versus Gastelum. I'm just going to get straight to the point. Obviously, main event, Kelvin Gastelum versus Robert Whitaker. Then we got Jeremy Stevens versus Drakkar Close in the co-main event. Andre Arlovsky versus Chase Sherman. Abdul Razak Hassan versus Jacob Mokun. Luis Pena versus Alexander Munoz. Ricardo Hamos versus Bill Algeo. Tracy Cortez versus Justin Kish. Alexander Romanoff, Juan Espino. Jessica Penne, Lupi Godinez. Uh, Bartosk Fabinski versus Gerald Mearshart. Zara Farron versus Josian Nunez. And then t- opening up the night, Tony Gravely versus Anthony Bershak. So we're just going to start right there at the bottom. Tony Gravely versus Anthony Bursak. Bursak 16 and 7 versus Tony Gravely 20 and 6. Um, Bursak has a shorter average fight time. Gravely looks like he's going to be wanting to look to take this to the ground. He's got um, 5.6 average takedowns per 15 minutes. Uh, U- UFC experience is uh, favored on Bursak's side, though. Uh, but Tony Gravely's fought, uh, I think, three times in 2020. He's been far more active. He's more of like an up-and-comer versus Bershak, who's been around a little bit in the UFC. Fought back in 2015, 2016, took some time off, and is coming off a loss versus Lopez uh, in 2020. So didn't have the success he was looking for after that four-year layoff, and I'm not sure he's going to get it here. I'm going to go with the heavy favorite, Tony Gravely, to get this one done. And then the next one, Jojian Nunez versus Zara Farron. I'm going with Nunez here. She's coming off like a five- or six-fight win winning streak but granted it is on the uh, regional scene coming into the ufc this is her debut sarah farron has been up and down hasn't had a whole lot of success um i may switch this one because it is very close she's a plus 110 underdog might be worth those points because her, her oh, she's 0-2 in the ufc but she's faced uh, felicia spencer and megan and megan anderson a couple of um i mean megan anderson contended for the title so you know it's can't really take too much away from that as far as knowing where she fits other than she just doesn't fit at the tip top of the division at this point in time so this will kind of give you an idea of of where she actually sits uh zara farron in the division but i think nunez i'm gonna go with momentum here go with the favorite for now i think she's gonna keep the winning streak going so i think she's gonna get the victory here which takes to the next one bartos fabinski versus gerald mearshart man these uh underdog points on mearshart are kind of tempting plus 110 to Fabinski's minus 130. Mearshart's coming off that devastating cross that lost to um, Kamzat Chemaev. Just the only strike thrown, man. But short and sweet, he's back. Face of Fabinski, who also kind of likes to uh, favor the ground game and the grappling. But Fabinski's last couple losses have come by submission. You know, Mearshart likes to... Uh, you know, it seems as though he predominantly likes to take it to the ground. Likes to be on top. Does uh, like his submissions and like to fish for an arm or, or, or a choke. So I'm not sure which way to go here. 
Um, I, I hate to tell you guys I'm going to possibly switch every time. I try to do, I try to give, you know, some definitive picks. But, you know, I may switch to this one. But for now, I'm going with those underdog points. I'm going with Gerald Mearshart to bounce back and to get and to pull this one out. So, Mearshart for the win. Then the next one, Jessica Penne versus Lupi Gudinez or Lupina, Lupita Gudinez. She's 5-0, and Gudinez. It's her UFC debut. Jessica Penne is a staple of the UFC division, or UFC roster. 12-6 and overall in MMA. She's coming off three straight losses, though, versus, uh, you know, names like Joanna, Jessica Andrade, and then um, Taylor, her most recent fight. So, you know, it's tough because she's got a three-fight skid. However, you know, UFC experience facing top talent and, uh, you know, not doing well. So I- I'm struggling with this one because she, uh, Jessica Penne, is a huge underdog, but she's clearly uh, got the UFC and veteran experience and could very easily um, spoil the debut of uh, Lupita Godinez here, who is a heavy favorite. So um, I- I'm going to check in on this one as well. But for now, I think it's worth it to go with experience and I'm going with Jessica Penne to get the victory here. Which takes us to the next one. Alexander Romanov versus Juan Espino. Heavyweight matchup, 11-1 Espino versus 13-0 Romanov. These guys are on a collision course, man. Both of them like their takedowns. They like average 14-plus takedowns in Juan Espino's UFC career, 6-plus in Romanov's per 15 minutes. They both like have, I think, almost close to five strikes landed per minute. So th- this, I don't expect this one to end... Uh, in decision, but you never know, given they're both uh, heavy wrestlers or they have the ability to wrestle at least. It could get, uh, it could could go that way, but Espino is the underdog here. I think uh, he's got a little bit of height on him, but Romanov, I feel like, has the power advantage, and if they, if everything else kind of evens out as far as the grappling, if it's, it's somewhat of a stalemate there, I feel like Romanov's going to land something clean at some point and hurt Espino. That's where I'm going for now. I'm going with the favorite, Alexander Romanov, to get the victory here. Okay, that brings us to the featured matchup in the prelims here. Uh, Tracy Cortez versus Justine Kish. Justine Kish, 7-3 versus Tracy Cortez, 8-1. Uh, Tracy Cortez is sneaky, man. I'm excited to see her uh, you know, be the featured matchup in the prelims here. Justine Kish, unfortunately, just has not had the success in the UFC that she probably expected and wanted. Um, I know the UFC is, is pretty high on Cortez and wants to see her do well. Obviously, just in, not fixed, but in terms of matchmaking, it looks like it could be a potential showcase matchup for Tracy Cortez here. You never know because Kish is quite durable. She might pose some good problems in terms of uh, tests that Cortez may have to pass in order to bring herself to the next stage and the next level of the, the flyweight division here. So I bet she's going to pass those tests. So I'm going away with the uh, I'm going with the minus 250 favorite Tracy Cortez to get the win. Okay, so moving on to the main card. This one's, I think this one's going to be fireworks, guys. If it goes the way of Bill Algeo, I think this is going to be the fight of the night. If it goes the way of Ricardo Ramos, it might be done inside the distance because for the most part, Ramos likes to take you to the ground and submit you. He's got like one spinning back to his KO performance in the night, you know, victory. But aside from that, there's only been one of his fights that he's won and didn't have to take his opponent to the ground. Every other one of his fights, it's been most, for the most part, done on the mat and Algeo, unfortunately, even though he's coming off a victory against Spike Carlisle and he had an amazing performance in that fight, 
uh, scrambling like mad. If he gets taken down, which he does get taken down at least once in most of his fights, even in victories, I'm worried that uh, Hamos is going to have the ability to um, get a hold of him, a neck or a limb or something, and take him out. So uh, for now, with these even money fights, because it's pretty much even money at all sports books, I'm going to wait to get a little bit closer to make my official decision because ultimately the boys like Nate and Jose don't finalize their picks until the last minute anyways. So they're probably looking at the odds. Uh, more closer to the fight versus the one on Sunday night when we do the show if, if Nate's not here. So um, if there becomes an underdog opportunity here, I'm probably going to take a stab at that. Um, and also for now, I'm going to go one point for fight of the night on this and go with Bill Algeo to get the dub. And the next one, Luis Pena taking on, uh, what's his name, Alex Munoz. So Alex Munoz has coming off only, he's only got one fight in the UFC prior to this, but it was with Nazarat Hawkprost who is looking like a killer lately, and he took him to decision. He lost, but he took him to decision. And Luis Pena, this is his first fight back since his uh, loss to Kama Worthy. And um, Luis Pena is minus 140 favorite in this spot. I'm not exactly sure, you know, given Munoz's very little tape that I've seen on him, like what Pena's approach is going to have to be in order to, you know, have the most success in this fight. So I'm not sure which way to go, but for now, that plus 120 on uh, Alex Munoz is looking pretty tasty. So I'm going with the plus 120 underdog Alex Munoz to come through. Which brings us to the next one. You guys remember uh, Abdul Razak Hassan? He's the one who took the crazy, got sockied by um, Chaos Williams in his last fight recently. Um, he's 10-3. and three. He's a very highly touted prospect, very high-level striking, very, 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 very powerful um, exciting to watch, but he's coming off a couple of straight losses, one to Lazez and then one to Chaos Williams. He's taking on Jacob Malkoon. If you look at Jacob Malkoon's stats, he's 4-1 and one overall. He's only got one fight in the UFC, and it was a loss to Phil Haas, and it was 18 seconds in the first round, so it's funny. Um, I mean, it's funny. It's not funny for Malkoon, but it's funny to me. If you look at his uh, stats on UFC's stats, Jacob Malkoon has absorbed an average of 23.33 strikes per minute. Because in 18 seconds, he took so many strikes by Phil Haas in his UFC debut. So, point being is, I don't know. It's not a whole lot to take from that. You're not sure if it was kind of a fluke, if he just got caught, if he was kind of uh, overwhelmed by this, the UFC debut in the situation, and uh, how he's going to perform. But in this case, um, I don't even have to look, but I'm almost certain. Yep, minus 290, Abdul Razak Hassan. A huge favorite in this spot. So, that's the way I'm going to go. Then Abdul Razak Hassan gets it done. Okay, now the big boys, Andre Arlovsky versus Chase Sherman. Man, Andre Arlovsky just won't go away. The old doggy is the pit bull. 30 and 20 and, and two no contests is his record versus Chase Sherman. 15 and 6. He's actually been cut from the UFC before. Came back recently, I got to admit. Looked a hell of a lot leaner. Looked a lot better. Sharp and moving a lot better. He's got a lot of power. Chase Sherman uh, does. And so I think there's a good chance that he could KO Andre Arlovsky. Arlovsky has seemed to have. Uh, some you know somewhat of chin issues in his later I mean the guy's been in there for so many years I mean it only makes sense but let me take a look at the odds here Andre Arlovsky is actually a minus 135 favorite in this spot plus 115 to Chase Sherman I think he definitely has a puncher's chance uh, but I'm actually somewhat in agreement with these odds all told so I'm gonna actually go with the favorite here Andre Arlovsky I think he can pull out the decision in this spot he's gonna keep it safe 
Um, I may switch if Sherman looks even more improved from his last fight to this fight because it was a significant difference in the way he looked visually. So that's a sign of discipline. That's a sign of taking it serious. So um, could switch uh, if I get a little nervous and think Arlovsky's chin may not hold up. But for now, I'm going to go with the pit bull to be able to grind out a decision. Okay, which brings us to our co-main event, Jeremy Stevens versus Drakkar Close. This is probably the other one on the on the card that I would think potentially would be fight of the night. So, who knows? Maybe I'll switch that too before the fight start. Uh, but these guys are pretty evenly matched as far as on paper. Strikes landed per minute, just a little bit over 3, 3.18 for Jeremy, 3.89 for Drakkar Close. Uh, 40, 50% accuracy roughly for both. They both absorb around the same, a little bit under four strikes per minute as well. And then their striking defense is in the mid to high 60s so, or 50s. So um, they both don't really take down too much, just under, uh, just over one takedown per fight. And their takedown defense, takedown accuracy is about the same as well. So on paper, they're roughly even. And I think both these guys have a temperament to want to bring it. Jeremy Stevens, you know, is trying to bring it every time. He's 28 and 18 overall. Got a ton of experience. Drakkar Close uh, is 11 and 2 overall. Uh, I don't know, man. Both 5'9". This fight is at um, lightweight, and Jeremy Stevens has been down at featherweight for a while. So uh, I'm not sure if that's going to give him more of a gas tank or more of the ability to take a shot. I'm not sure. Um, let's take a look at the odds here. I'm actually quite interested in this one. Uh, Drakkar Close versus Jeremy Stevens. Drakkar Close is a plus 120 underdog to Jeremy Stevens, minus 140. That is very interesting to me. I'm not sure. Like, I think that these odds could be flipped, and I'd still agree with them. It's a really close fight. Could be fight of the night, as I said. Drakkar Close is coming off that crazy uh, fight. Let me see if there's been a fight in between, just to make sure, but... Pretty sure, yep, he's coming off the loss to Dariush. That's the meme ever heard around the world with uh, DC, Joe Rogan, and John Anik reacting to it. Crazy-ass fight, but he's coming off that fight, and we all know Dariush is really good and making his way up a future title contender. So um, it's I'm not sure, you know, Jeremy Stevens definitely has the experience advantage, and I think he's obviously got the power. Um, I'm not sure. I think Jakar moves a little bit better overall, but Jeremy Stevens... Man, I'm not sure how he gets it done. I'm going to go with Jeremy Stevens to get it done right now. But that underdog points is quite quite appealing. So I might switch. Depends on how the night goes. Some of these fights, depending on how the night goes, if I'm not doing good and I need to kind of go for it and there's an underdog pick that's like on them on the fence about, sometimes I go for it. Maybe that's not the right strategy because obviously I'm losing terribly. But uh, for now, I'm going to go with, uh, yeah, you know what, fuck it. I'm going for the underdog in this one. I'm going with your car close to get it done. Jeremy Stevens is notoriously difficult to put away. So for now, I'm going to car close. Gets it done by unanimous decision. That's right. Brings us to the main event. I bet you guys can guess who I'm going for. Uh, Kelvin Gastelum taking on Robert Whitaker. I was extremely excited and very disappointed when this fight fell through a few years ago. Um, they were fighting for the belt on a mission for gold. It, the mission continues. I think Kelvin Gastelum got a new chip on his shoulder, and I think he's got something to prove to buy only himself. But to everybody who counted him out, I think this guy is going to come out and try to make a statement against this fight. It's been a long time coming. I know Robert Whitaker has definitely put things together and looked great in his last couple performances himself. Uh, I believe Jerry Cannonier and Darren Till. We got Kelvin Gastelum coming off his win against Ian Heinish. 
And I know that Kelvin Gastelum is the underdog in this spot. I don't care. I'm going with KG to get the victory. I think this is going to be an all-out war. Um, I think eventually um, it's going to get you know down to the wrestling. I think it's going to be some spots where Kelvin Gastelum is going to be dominating on top as well as dominating on the feet. Uh, later down the stretch, I think it's going to get really dicey, really interesting to see whose gas tank holds up. But when you know both these guys have five-round cardio, so... Uh, even the main event in this this fight night could be the the main or I'm sorry the fight of the night for sure. I'm expecting fireworks, uh, but I'm gotta go with my boy KG to get it done. So my pick is Kelvin Gastelum comes away with unanimous decision over Robert Whitaker. Let's go! But that's it. That does it for this week's installment of the D Love Special Sauce Podcast. Hope you guys liked the show. If you did, go over to Apple and iTunes, give us a five star rating and a positive review. While you're there, turn the notification bell on. That way, you're on top of all the most current content. And if you're already supporting a small independent podcast, please do check out and support all the small businesses that support us, just like you guys, by listening every week. We got Monique Taylor with Strong Women Designs. We got Dream Loud Collections, my girl Nora, custom handmade jewelry. Check her out. OC Party Rentals, Paint Bay, The Journey of a Modern Day Painter, Upper Glass Tent. Eden Buttery Pancakes is getting people shredded. Vargas Auto Spa. California Shirt Smith. Check out Justin for some custom print works. Blake Builder and the Builder System. Mac Noodles Sabachi Chef. Ricardo with Neighborhood Auto Care. Sauce Meals. Angie Snyder. And of course, he loves Tumor Tonic. But last and not least, MMT Fitness. Make sure to check them out on Instagram. Make sure to go out and check out the gym. Exit Avery Parkway off the 5 Freeway. The first class is always free. Tell them the DLSS podcast sent you. But that does it for this week, guys. Until next week. Same time and same place. Enjoy the fights.